I am Cesar Rubio, five times past master of Palm Springs Lodge number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, you get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no lightweights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. So let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. And today, we have a special guest. And the conversation is going to circulate around fear, death, memento mori, and of course, Freemasonry. Without further ado, I'm just going to hand it over. Introduce yourself and tell us what you're about. Hey, everybody. My name is Juan Asensio. I am the creator and uh, the uh, coach uh, for the uh, Life Energy Optimization Method. You can find me on leomethod.com. Um, and basically, it stands for the Life Energy Optimization, and I coach people to optimize their energies and uh, all everything that has to do with energy, which is basically life. <laughs> when you first started uh, uh, conceiving of doing this, what, what brought you to that? Because you just didn't... How long have you been doing this, first of all? Uh, this started... Uh, I started going into uh, spirituality uh, right around 2008, seven. And yeah, and I had to because my life was in, uh, it was in a bad place. So spirituality yeah. um, drew you to this. You, you you felt something, a calling, you know, and you, this is the way I can yeah I deal with this better. I, I didn't understand that it was spirituality. To be honest with you, I just started going into the Eastern philosophical uh, aspects of uh, the perception perception of life, which kind of you know I've, I've always understood that mm. there was a spiritual component to it. I just didn't understand what spirituality so, really meant. So Buddhist, uh, Hindu, what what yeah, Eastern? Actually, what? Mm -hmm, mostly the martial arts, like ninjutsu, the samurai, um, and uh, you know the the code, bushido code, uh, and and then that led all. Uh, you know, because I kind of turned atheist, to be honest with you, growing up. Uh, after you know <laughs> uh, growing up a uh, christian catholic um <clears throat> and uh so th i always had a fascination with martial arts so um when i started studying the eastern aspects of it i it i got really deep and i was able to make some really cool connections from people in like in russia who were these great martial artists but they're really very non not that well known it's called sistema which is the this russian martial art which is based on principle of breathing and then through that you develop your movements your mental and emotional capabilities and so on and so forth and so that opened the door to other excuse me other aspects of uh dealing with you know um my issues particularly which is fear and death written and uh so yeah and then uh going further deeper into it then i started you know going to the uh, studying the uh the the Vedas and the yogis and, and the processes, meditation, the origins of all of it, where you like, you know, you look at the yin and yang, uh, actually comes from uh, the, uh, what's been referred to in Hinduism as uh, shak, uh, Shiva and Shakti. Shiva is the, the yang and Shakti is the yin, you know, the feminine, the mm -hmm. masculine, the feminine energy. And, uh, 
and yes, it was a, it was a crazy trip going there, and and then I started to apply the simplifying the techniques that made a transformation in my life to dissolve fear uh, uh, and uh, and other issues that I had. Where I had some mm. suicidal thoughts and tendencies, but I'd never actually went all the way because I there was a there was an aspect of me that actually. Um, offered me the opportunity to basically say, uh, as if the creator was talking to me and say, hey, do you, do you want it in your life now or do you want to continue living? Because either way, it's all good. And I'm like, and it, this is a conversation happening inside of me. And I'm like, well, I said, I want to live, but I don't just want to live. I want to enjoy my life and I want to live well. He says, that's fine, but you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to earn it. And uh, because I want you to know that death is uh, the most beautiful, compassionate thing in the, in, in, that I've created in life. Uh, <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Uh, there was something I was going to read to open this up, mm -hmm. and I did it backwards. I'm going to read it now. Yes. Maybe it was meant to because uh, what you just said uh, plays right into this. So, and that is this. It said, I put down a few thoughts to set the stage, but you've already done that, but we're going to solidify it now. And it says this. Death has been around with us uh, since the beginning. In the Old Testament of the Bible, we read stories of the patriarchs living up to 900 years before they pass away, finally. In the cuneiform tablets, we read dates and records of kings ruling for thousands of years before they finally die, and then the next king you know, takes over. And in the Bhagavad Gita, we learn that the duration of a lifetime of a human being in the Staya Yuga is around 100,000 years. Humans have been aware of life and death for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and yet so many people still fear death and the unknown, which is what you were briefly describing. I'm pretty sure we're going to get into it even deeper. And this is something that Freemasons deal with in, in our own unique way, and we'll get to that later on as the show progresses. So fear and death, you went through your own, you, you gave us a very brief, and I know there's more to it than just that, but you gave us a very brief, you know, a little time capsule into what brought you to this space now where you're where you're busy with projects, you're busy with helping people, you're busy with getting your your uh, continuing to grow your business and really stemming from something that you went through and you want to help others relieve their agony, their distress, whatever mm -hmm. it is they're feeling, because mm -hmm. you understand them, you can sympathize with them mm -hmm. and you know, you know what you felt. So. Yeah. They must be feeling something similar, and you know how horrible that is. So how? So now you figured out that you wanted to start your your business, mm -hmm. and you've been doing it since two thousand eight. You said, and it's uh, been the business itself. Uh, uh, I put all the techniques together and created the Leo method, and that started off in two thousand mm -hmm. uh, fifteen. Yeah, about fifteen, and then that's uh, where. Uh, I had a, my partner, and uh, we came together to uh, create something like a like a training process to optimize the human operating system, which is based on not only your intellectual intelligence, but you also have your emotional intelligence, and then the the physical aspect of your intelligence, and then the uh, spiritual aspect of your intelligence. And then once you understand the the, the mechanics of these things experientially, you can they can actually start to take in more direct instruction from you. Because a lot of your thoughts, emotions, your physical, and even your spirit are 
actually running for the majority of humanity and people uh, um, through the memory that's been passed down from generation to generation. And the power that we have as, as human beings, especially in this day and age, is our ability to now transform that and, uh, and create something new. That's every generation is supposed to create and more empowering, more and more loving representation of who we are in this generation. The future ones are supposed to be better. And that's kind of been dulled away by society maybe and by uh, maybe our educational system and so on and so forth. But I see it now more and more that it's becoming a little more and more apparent that this component that is really within the constructs of the life that we are are going to be essential for those of us who want to live and not just live but thrive in this new age that we I feel literally we've been birthed into because even after you know it's kind of funny when you say like the, during the corona pandemic I just finished writing this book mm. called The Death of Death and uh, the cor- cor- um, corona uh, <laughs> what's funny about that is that it's it's the Latin word for crown or it means crown, crown. in English and and, and and in Spanish, um, it's it's like when a woman is giving birth, they're, it's, they're it's, crowning. Yeah, yeah, she's crowning. Yeah. So it literally felt like we were being crowned, or we're crowning, or being birthed into this new age. And to the point that even now, a lot of people are still going looking around their reality, like, trying to make sense of what the hell is they're happening. They're still wondering what, what the hell is going on. What yeah. the hell? Is, because yeah. we we've been birthed into it, and now. It's a whole new world, and the, the rules are the old rules are not n- no longer proving functional. You mentioned something right now that um, um, you know we we have the opportunity to make our, our life better than than the previous generations, and it, that reminds me of something that's written in the in the Bible as well, where you know the sons vi- revisit the sins of the father, and mm. we have to break the generational curse and so forth. Yeah. You're saying the same thing, but yes. in a new in a new, more, uh, you know, way that we can understand it, right? Mm. It's our genetic. In John Taylor Gatto's um, a five-hour interview with Richard Grove, he mentioned something about uh, we're not dumb. Everybody has genius. It's our genetic her- inheritance. Mm-hmm. It's just that the stage has to be set in order for that to allow the genius to finally come out and create the world that you want to create mm-hmm. and lead the life that you are capable of leading, but you have these forces actively working against you to bottle that creativity mm-hmm. and keep it there, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the schooling system and things that you mentioned are all an integral part of the way we feel and the way we uh, don't feel. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. You had some things that you wanted to share with us before we started the, the you know, in, it got into mm-hmm. a further conversation and you wanted to uh, just set the stage here. So Sure. So uh, I call it the three agreements, right? Because we want to be open and and uh, and uh, honor each other's uh, presence and intelligence through this process. So the first one is uh, no judgment during this conversation that we can be judicial without being judgmental. Because when you're judicial, that means your judicial capability is under your servitude. But if you're being judgmental, then it possesses you and it makes your judgments seem more real than in reality itself. And this is not necessarily the, the most intelligent way to do things. It's about using judicial capabilities to direct your attention and the conversations and articulate yourself to the, to in a more humane, intelligent way, sensible way. Uh, does it make sense? Yeah. 
Uh, I didn't hear you there. Yes. 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 Oh, perfect. Uh, the second uh, uh, pact uh, is that there's not going to be any repercussions between us. Uh, for us to explore new solutions and possibilities, there can be no repercussions in a truly intelligent, relevant, and creative conversation. So that's number two, and that's the second pact and agreement that we have. And the third is to respect and honor each other unconditionally, even through what makes us ugly. Ugly meaning, well, fear ego you know this is where the the where most ugly and destructive forces come into play and because uh, if there's no respect or honor between people that means that there's no real commitment towards new relevant solutions and conversations that will create well-being for everyone involved mm. that that reminds me of the four agreements but you're talking about three agreements three. Are, are you more to is this uh samurai ninja um what what is this this is more of a conscious application of the life energy optimization process mm -hmm. to optimize your uh right. our energies just to bring a, a little cognizant wordplay into how we express ourselves and having this understanding at least during this conversation if you want to if we want to be assholes that once we get out of here we're free to be assholes to the rest of the world but in this place we're not going to do that so it has nothing to do with the four agreements, is no. right? Okay, this is something yeah, that, that you guys came up you unique. I, I came up uniquely. With that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so. And so, as we're going to be talking about uh, fear and death and all these things, but I feel like it's very important to mention that that we talked about truth and how it relates to fear, because we must understand that you know there is an old adage here that goes, "Truth will set you free," but generally, at first, it's going to piss you off. Why? Well, because it destroys anything and everything that blinds, bonds, and enslaves you. But it also recalibrates and brings back grace and functionality back to life. And this, to me, is what this new age that we're all living in is all about now. So truth. Uh, here, here you're, you're reminding me right now of uh, we have a Trivium discussion group here once a month. And there we have uh, discussion etiquette. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, sim very similar to what you just said right now with the three agreements. Because without that, and I'm looking it up right now as we're talking, as you, as you were mentioning, mm -hmm. uh, without understanding and respecting those, uh, those seven rules, it, it, things easily become chaotic. And sides are taken. And now we no longer want to hear your side but all we're doing is waiting for you to shut up, stop saying what you're saying so that we can, you know, jump pound on. you, yeah, jump <laughs> on you. So the discussion etiquette is, uh, number one, healthy and vigorous academic style discussion is encouraged. Two, tolerance and respect for everyone is expected. Three, no one should ever be subject to an ad hominem attack. Four, do not belittle another's position. So very, you know, very, but, you know, you've compacted all of them into three, right? Because mm -hmm. three is... You know, a mystical number three mm. is is uh, in, in Freemasonry. You know, it's a trinity. Freemasonry is big, and and other organizations. Uh, you know, you, you should avoid avoid should and should not state your belief and or experience, not your disagreement. Place yourself, uh, pace yourself. Do not be overbearing or dominate. Be self governing. Do not criticize thought, but propose action. Those things are lacking everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. Those things. And because of that, we cannot communicate. Mm -hmm. and, and we cannot start getting to some truth, whatever that truth is. That's what I'm driving at with, with that. So, Right. Um, so a, the, a big component of, of uh, 
not being able to see the truth is fear. Um, see, fear rises in the mind. And it only exists in the mind. Fear. But fear is energy that comes from the body's uh, biological will to survive. Every life form on this planet, uh, you know, every animal, every insect, even bacteria, have this has this this element of uh, energy of the will to survive. But in the human in the human mind, in the human operating system, uh, we have an intellect, and which is <laughs> far superior of any other other creature on this planet. So when fear, when that will to survive comes into our intellectual capabilities, it turns into fear. And that fear allows us to create um, uh, layers of protection, tactics to survive, to ensure our capabilities to survive and move forward for our children, for our loved ones. And we, through that, we also become tribal and, and, uh, and, and, and become so powerful that we as individuals also we become, dare I say, corrupted. Because corruption is an aspect of our capabilities to survive as well. Um, because we're fragmenting life into components that will help uh, serve us for our survival. But that's on, an, on, a, on a mental, intellectual level. But when you can rise above the intellectual aspects of, of uh, our, our survival capabilities, which is fear, we can see things as a whole without denying the fact that we need to compartmentalize certain things or separate certain things for our survival. But now we can see them more as a whole. And then we can see that we can actually dissolve the fear from our intellectual capabilities into our bodies, which is our capability to survive, our, the energy, the will to survive. And then through that, you create a, uh, a more clear and sharp mind. Because a clear and sharp mind is the way it works best. Um, there's, uh, there's no contradiction to that. <laughs> oh, Okay, so fear, fear, and, and what you're saying reminds me of uh, the R complex, right? The uh, the most uh, the oldest part of our brain, the reptilian complex, mm -hmm. which is in charge of fear, which is in charge of uh, hoarding and uh, a hierarchy and mm -hmm. wanting to dominate and mm -hmm. you know use uh, uh, like like the uh, the Sith from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to dominate. They want to. Mm -hmm. uh, where is it coming from? It's coming from fear. They're yeah. using fear, and mm -hmm. so fear is a very powerful emotion and and when you don't control it when you cannot we have to control our emotions no matter what mm. or try as, uh, yeah, try, try and and as much as possible right. right because we are human being and so we are going to experience thoughts and emotions and what have you but that one right there the fear whether real or not uh is a difficult one just like the uh, uh our drive to want to reproduce our drive you know mm -hmm. uh, fear of the unknown mm -hmm. Uh, are you know wanting to uh, we someone drops off a baby in, their, in your front door, knocks on the door and leaves. All of a sudden, we see a baby there. We look around and what do we do? We pick the baby up and we all of a sudden we're protecting right. the baby. Something innate, yeah, that's just in there. It's just it's triggered. Mm -hmm. But fear though, it can shut you down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, Sheer, it'll yeah. sabotage. You'll notice that fear, uh, in the long-term play, will sabotage your intelligence and keep individuals and even organizations uh, from doing the things that they need to do in order to create the things and the life that they want to enjoy or that they truly want to create. Um, and usually that comes because uh, once a certain individual or even organization uh, 
becomes powerful, it becomes established. And once something becomes established, it doesn't it, it doesn't want to change. It's I am the way I am, and I don't want to change. You can see it not just as an individual, like maybe <laughs> like my my grandparents or my father, and and but I can also see it like in politics and in in in, in, um, in government institutions where they don't want to change. They want to hold on to the power, and they're all willing to kill you for it. You know, well, we're seeing that right now. Absolutely, and it's and a lot of it is fear driven. Mm-hmm. Even if it's common sense, what we're, what is being proposed and everyone's understanding, like this is, uh, we saw that with Trudeau, you know, in Canada and yeah. what was happening and and fear and uh, established structures dictate mm-hmm. what he's going to do next is not reason and common mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect there. Yeah, you it, can well, totally a, see it. Yeah. And that's not intelligence and word. That's power at work and um, power in the service of madness. You know, intelligence and the service of madness, because fear can 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 manipulate that. You know, fear, like you were saying, we're talking about the uh, the the lizard brain, right? Because we have the lizard brain. The, the R right? complex, yes. Complex. Then we also have the monkey brain, mm-hmm. where we register our, our emotions. Uh, that's where we, and then the prefrontal cortex, right, which makes us more conscientious as human beings. And it's a very interesting thing because, particularly in men. Uh, a lot of men or a lot of people uh, confuse, like, let's say, a neg, um, a just uh, anger and you know, aggressiveness with testosterone, right? But the truth is, uh, it's been uh, medically and scientifically proven now that the more emotionally enraged a man is, the more feminized he's become, because what happens is when men start to feel of um, vulnerable, they start to create a sensitivity. Uh, they, there's some there's a mechanism in our when we start to feel uh, aggressive and and angry and and uh, and destructive that uh, testosterone uh, we produce in a, a uh, excuse me a an enzyme called aromatase and aromatase turns testosterone into estrogen and estrogen makes both men and women more sensitive but when a man what it does it creates makes us more erratic makes us lose our mental and emotional clarity, which is the aspect of what testosterone does in a man. It does differently on a woman. More testosterone in a woman makes her more actually erratic, emotionally unstable. But in a man, it makes him more mentally, emotionally stable, which also is conducive for his health. Uh, and the more estrogen men have right now, or, or in any situation, the more mentally, even physically ill he'll become. And... Uh, and it's and it's a very important thing to pay attention to because that that is the difference between men and women that w- yeah we're we're equals but we have to honor each other's differences because you know a woman has a vagina to to crown a birthing baby we don't have that capability mm-hmm. and uh, we have the seed right and in order for that seed to be vital and strong in a man he needs to have this, the the elements and the hormonal balance uh, in order to be able to have the energy to not just order to please his wife, but to just throw out the trash, mm. you know. And uh, when a man doesn't have that mental and emotional clarity, he will definitely not have the loving uh, appreciation for his wife. You know, at, I remember seeing this other study where they point down that the reason why men cheat uh, in, in relationships is because their testosterone levels are compromised. Any man, any time a man, um, um, uh, has his level, his testosterone levels on point, uh, 
he will not have any need to cheat outside of his wife because uh, he his his the loving appreciation that he'll see in his wife will be complementary from her feminine energy to your to hers like her mass uh, her estrogen and her progesterone will be in such high levels that she'll be more feminine and that will also make you feel more masculine which is you know testosterone driven and then there will be a um uh, a balance of attraction and honoring and respect mm. and uh so these are very very uh uh and i feel like they're very elemental too because i feel like all the worlds in the world too would would literally end if, or or come down dramatically if there was more of that recognition of the balance and the honor and respect between a man and woman in a home in a family well they they were right back in like tribal times those mm -hmm. things were were way more imbalanced because they were living out in nature yes. or or you know just following the natural cycles of time absolutely which as we begin to move away from the talk of death and not, i mean uh, fear now we're getting into death right because mm -hmm. they were those tribes along with uh, and they were in tune it, I would just imagine they were more in tune with their thoughts, with their emotions, because they were out there working with the natural cycles of time. Mm -hmm. They they rose up with the sun. They knew how long, how much light they had. They they might have not told you, well, we have three hours, but they knew like, okay, the, that the sun is going to move, and we only have mm -hmm. so much time yeah. before it gets dark, and it gets pitch dark out here, and we cannot see and that's when the predators get out so we got to go inside mm -hmm. so they learn how to control that fear but they understood one thing that death would happen yeah right and then mm -hmm. they they dealt with death differently mm -hmm. during that time the ninjas the samurais all the warriors all, all the warriors all the warriors under understood yeah. this so tell us a little bit about death and how you how people uh, deal with that I'll give you a quick story. When I was about five years old, uh, I had an accident in with my family in, in uh, Juarez, Chihuahua, and I uh, almost lost my life. And I remember my mom was freaking out, and some people picked us up. And um, and this accident was a car accident, and uh, so my arm was broken, and the left side of my neck, uh, right here, this scar, uh, uh, there was guts and everything sticking out. I was bleeding to death, basically. And so these couple found us and then rushed us to the hospital. My dad stayed behind with trying to deal with whatever the, the accident. And uh, but I remember sitting uh, in the uh, in the passenger side and my mom's in hysterics. Man, no, 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 te duermas, no te duermas, you know, and the guys are driving is trying to keep me awake and I'm bleeding out here. And, and all the pain, all the crazy confusion. And I'm, mind you, I'm five years old, five, six years old. You still remember. Oh, pfft. and uh, so I'm there, and I'm and, and out of nowhere, I remember that the pain and everything started to dissolve. And then I noticed this, this like, dark energy. I can't, it's like darkness, just blackness. And it started to kind of, like, started to hover over me. And it felt very peaceful, very loving, like a very loving embrace. It's like if your mom grabbed you and gave you a very sweet hug, it was starting to come over me mm -hmm. like that. And it was very interesting. And then something inside of me uh, said to me as if it was, <laughs> as if I was God inside of a five-year-old boy's body saying, why don't you smile? Look at how funny this all is. And I literally, uh, Caesar, I just, I, I smiled. <laughs> I smiled and I remember looking at the speedometer and looking at everything and hearing everybody and everything just started getting quieter and I'm at peace. I'm all, everything's perfect. Next thing you know, I blanked out and I was like, wow, 
was. Okay. And years later, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Gladiator, which I'm sure you did, of course. There was there was a scene where Maximus, played by Russell Crowe, says to uh, Commodus in the movie, uh, he basically told him this line. Uh, Death smiles at us all. Mm-hmm. All a man can do is smile back. When that line came out, I literally saw myself, and I remember me as a child, smiling at my own death. And, I, and it was such a, a profound and deep experience for me that later on I had other things that came to life in between those two times. Oh, that line, and, and when I experienced my first death, that I started to uh, see like, wow, Things are not exactly the way we think they are. Reality is, are, are the way we think, it's just, it's a horrible interpretation of reality. <laughs> but if we can align our thought processes with reality, it's a very wondrous and very beautiful thing where you just feel like the more you know, the m- actually the less you know, and the more like, uh, you feel like a kid, like, holy, wow, <laughs> this is beautiful. Well, the, the way I understand uh, mm. a lot of these uh, ancient tribes that I'm talking about, even mm-hmm. the Native American Indians, they had a completely different um, respect and view of death. Yeah. They, they, they didn't view it like the way we, we're disconnected from death. Yeah, and that's a, that's a very important, important point because it, it wasn't necessarily a view, it was an experience of life. This country, in particular, in this, in this country, in the U.S., we're ignorant of death. We're almost put, put a, kind of told not to, to look at death. But um, and I came to realize that a man uh, or a society or a culture that is ignorant of of death, it's ignorant of life. They're one and the same. You can't have one without the other. And so you're going to have a very stupid culture and a very mentally and emotionally imbalanced culture. And I was doing a, a little research right before I got here because I was seeing that. Over 80%, I think, of the U.S. population is under some form of mental medication for a mental disorder. 80%. That means when I go out there and look for a, a girl, you know, if I want to talk to her, there's chances are that 8 out of 10 girls are mentally disturbed. And that's that's a very um, sobering thing where I had to be that much more compassionate, too, because I don't take any mental any medication for any mental disease, and I feel very fortunate not to. Now it's fashionable. People talk about their mental disorders and diseases like it's, you know, fashionable. Which I know I'm not here to judge. I mean, that's cool, but it's not necessarily a thing that I enjoy, and I don't think anybody does really. So, it's almost like the medication allows that to be fashionable, and 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 it also shows why there's so much uh, uh, dishonor and, and destruction and uh, ins- uh, sensitivity, you know, over the stupidest things that allows us not to take responsibility for our actions. I mean, look at what's been going on with comedians saying jokes and they're getting hit or slapped or attacked. It's like, oh my Everybody. God. I mean, everybody's <laughs> going through that. And I'm surprised. Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, during this pandemic, other things, uh, other organizations began to come under attack uh, for more sensitivity stuff. You know, you can't say that. You can't say this. Uh, and so... Is it is it the disconnect uh, the, that the society has with death, you know, because it's I just recently went, uh, you know, experienced another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my wife's grandmother mm-hmm. uh, passed away and we experienced something that was at first, you know, kind of uh, um, jarred me a little bit. But then uh, I embraced it. And that is, you know, we're 
she passed away here in, in Vegas, and her family was in, in Chihuahua, Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. Partemoc, Chihuahua, Mexico. Okay. So they, the, the sons and daughters all voted to have the body taken over there because they wanted her mom, their mom, to be over there. Right. So we, we uh, my wife and I, drove over there and to witness that but when but when the body got there uh the the son the oldest no no one of the sons you know my wife's uncle mm -hmm. brought the body to the house and had the wake i guess and they put two candles there and people came to see it and and people can view the you know, the body mm -hmm. of the deceased member right there mm -hmm. in the house mm -hmm. and i had never I had never uh, experienced that before, but that's how disconnected we are. Right, right. We see the body in the morgue. We see the body at the parlor. You know, we don't. That the body is not there at the house. Right, right. So, yeah, it's a huge disconnect for sure. And um, it's another interesting thing that I noticed too, because you know, most in funerals, right, most people wear black. The funny thing is that, um, again, we're so ignorant. Of, and the energetic aspects of life, which are the fundamentals of our ability to be alive. But black is an absorbent color. You should never wear black in a situation like that because you are absorbing uh, a lot of negative energies, a lot of negative emotions, thoughts, despair, and you can see it. The opposite color, which is white, is actually if you can go into like the Eastern aspects of uh, like the Vedas or the yogis and Japan too, they wear white. Why? Because it, it's, it, it reflects everything off. It bounces off. And it doesn't allow you to absorb those, these energies. And then there, there are processes you can take, you know, to cleanse the energies, you know, uh, negativity, whether you can do it with water, you can do it with fire, and, and, and a combination of them all, which are elemental, which is basically what these tribal people like the Indians, they knew this in almost experientially Instinct, because that's how they instinctively mm -hmm. and generate because it was passed down and that was their life i feel like in order to bring back sanity to this to this new emerging age that i call the in with uh, the age of uh magic and technology because i really can't tell the difference anymore between magic and technology you know the push a button you can nuke the planet or you can have a burger and fries on your doorstep <laughs> you know what i mean it's like if that's not a magic wand i don't know what it is <laughs> um but um, but bringing that, uh, being able to, to, to comprehend the level of power that we have, uh, and to, 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 to bring that sanity of awareness and, uh, of what we do have and how beautiful and amazing that is, uh, we need to cultivate our connection to nature and life because that's the source of all of our technologies. There is nothing that it, that, that we have created that is not part of this earth and it comes from the earth and it was from here, from uh, from the gate, uh, I mean, everything that exists in the lab first existed in uh, in the in the earth, and so uh, our capabilities to manipulate the things that we find in nature, the elements, and all that—it's it's extraordinary what we're capable of. But I feel like we got a little too drunk out of it that we're losing our awareness and our our sensibility to just because we can do it doesn't mean that we should be doing it. You know, that's a very ju juvenile, very responsible way of doing things a lot now. And I think now to bring sensibility back to earth is connecting to, to, to the elements and the aspects of life and death because people are terrified of death only because there's that lack of connection. And, we, and we've lacked it now. I guess if you, uh, I don't know where I, where I saw that or where I read that, where they were talking about 
probably since 1800s around there is when the uh, a disconnect mm. a concerted disconnect began to happen and right. meaning meaning it was it was contrived it was not oh it just happened by accident you know and we're going to begin to take away people uh, or you know, this is the, and later on you read about it and oh we it was just uh, you know a lucky accident no no you begin to see there was yeah. a definite intent to separate us from that Mm-hmm. So death and then, you know, Memento Mori. I mentioned Memento Mori and, you know, you shook your head. And I don't know if you aware, you know, or seen the, the little symbols of Memento Mori. Yeah. And so mo- well, Memento, mm-hmm. Memento Mori is, you know, remember you will die. You know, that's <laughs> right. So and it's a skull and bones. And yeah. in, in Freemasonry, it's beginning to make a huge, I don't know if it's a huge comeback. I can't say if it's a huge comeback or... Many Masons, because of the internet and because of what we're talking about, feel, mm-hmm. have felt this disconnect. That's the way I would choose to interpret it. I think yeah. innately we began to feel this disconnect. Yeah. And when we see these symbols, like, oh, that's yeah, that's part of what we're supposed to be, be, doing. be doing, experiencing, mm-hmm. addressing, acknowledging. Yeah. Yes, it's vital. It's so Because if you avoid death, you're avoiding life. And you're trying to live in this little mental world where you just want to be like, no, I can't. I'm going to live it safe and I'm going to play it safe. And uh, life is a, you know, if you really want to live life in your full power, you've got to embrace your vulnerability, your insecurity. So in in your practice, uh uh in your practice, not to cut you off, because I just thought of something right now. When, When you're helping people and you're helping them deal with their fears or whatever energy blocks they have. Sure. Do a lot of them, it comes down to they have a fear of death? Uh, or Everybody has it. <laughs> so I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't. But it doesn't like what I do. What makes it that much more grandeur are the belief. Of the I call it the BS. You can call it bullshit, bad science, mm-hmm. or belief system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of garbage that doesn't help you to uh, to focus on your the, the genius and the life energy that you are which is basically your ability to use all your capabilities of the human operating system at a optimal level so i go i have a process in which i call the deep process which is a uh, disempowering energy elimination process and we discover like beliefs like something as stupid as like i'll give you one that's universal uh money is a root of, root of all evil uh that's a very stupid belief to have uh, because you're, we all need money. We all use money. But if you look at it uh, as money as an enemy, you're going to have like this torturous relationship with money. You're with somehow you're going to sabotage having money, knowing that with money you can provide an amazing uh, quality of life for you and your loved ones or the people you care for and things like that. But because you have this belief and on, along with other beliefs, you're going to always kind of be troubled by it or, 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 or uh, just it's just gonna cause a lot of mental emotional disorders. I had a, I had a client who was a very well uh, uh, <laughs> established businessman, and he and we discovered he didn't believe that he had that belief. He but we, he was an atheist, but he grew up Christian, and we discovered that that's where the belief came from. So the really cool thing about dissolving beliefs is that it can happen pretty quickly once we go do the work. Uh, but installing new beliefs on new programs that are more mm-hmm. conscientious, it takes a little longer to, to download, but it's doable. And that's where meditation and, and actions and affirmations and certain things can happen, but they have to be done correctly. 
They, uh, you hear a lot about that stuff that's you know on YouTube, on on Instagram and stuff like that. And yeah, they're they're, they're pointing to it, but they're not teaching. They're not really elaborating on what it takes to actually tr- uh, to make these informations or these positive uh, programs to be a part of your life. Especially if you have an old program or disempowering belief that's been there and has a neurological position in between your mental and emotional capabilities, that it will sabotage any new program, any new new thing that you want to do. It'll always creep up because you had it since childhood, right? But once you clear it up, you can definitely um, uh, do away with anything that disempowers you. And if, if you have an old belief that it's actually empowering to you, well, we just don't fuck with it. We just don't mess with it and use it, you know? Once, but... If something does start to become dysfunctional, it means that it's outdated. And so we can go into it like a computer system, discover the belief, <laughs> the virus, <laughs> and delete it, get rid well, of it. Well, yeah, you got to use those terms because most of us understand that with our computers. Mm-hmm. There's so many correlations. And so we have viruses in our head. Mm-hmm. And there are, uh, you have to first download the antivirus, right. then you have to establish a firewall, mm-hmm. and then you have to reinforce mm-hmm. the new program that you're going to download. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you will engage in self-sabotaging habits that it's subconscious, whether it's yeah, consciously it's or unknowing. subconsciously. Yeah. You begin <clears throat> to do out of fear of failure, yeah. fear of death, fear of whatever... Yeah. Whatever, but it's fear of something that's yes. causing you yeah. to revert. And it's very important that we have to acknowledge the fact that fear is not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's no, not. it's no. it's it's something that that has helped us to survive. Even as children, even up as an individual child or as a collective, as a species. But fear now has grown as a monstrous thing that we it's no longer under our servitude. We're being in servitude of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to dissolve it, not get rid of it, because but we need to dis- learn to dissolve it so we can become an alarm system for uh, for, for us to use. When you begin <clears throat> to understand what fear is and, and where it's coming from, mm-hmm. that alone, self-awareness begins to mm-hmm. put it in its place, right? You, hey, I acknowledge it. I remember my dad telling me it, it's okay to be uh, scared, son, you know, that everybody's scared is what you do with it. You know, you got to learn to channel that fear because uh, everybody, mm-hmm. uh, all men, he says, all men are scared. Mm-hmm. The, you, but uh, some people, some men learn how to not allow that to paralyze your mm-hmm. critical thinking mm-hmm. and, and, you know, enter flight or, you know, fight or flight. Right, right. And, and those guys are the ones that you begin to see are elevated, you know, they're high Absolutely. performance Absolutely. You people. See it, you see yeah. it in a great, the greatest martial artists, they're just cool, calm and collected and powerful, man. And they yeah. look, they look so gentle and sweet. But when it comes down to it, it's like, holy shit, like these guys know their stuff. Uh, and it's funny too, because you said like, when you go into that uh, fight, fight or fight mode, um, that creates the, 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 the stress hormones of like cortisol and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And those actually there are people that know that these things suppress your immune system, your ability to absorb nutrients into your body. Fear, it has that biological and mental uh, process in which it leaves you vulnerable to being uh, manipulated to do somebody else's will to fall under their quote-unquote spell, per mm-hmm. se. And then you're going to be like, oh, yes, I need to do what they're telling me. It, it disempowers you. Um, so being able to bring that mental awareness of, of fear and p- dissolving fear 
and into your body, when you put it back in its place, it becomes your will to survive, and that's a good thing. Mm. Then your mind is clear. Now, again, in my right of fear, you know, the will to survive, when it rises into your, into the, into your head, it's kind of like the garden of your mind, and it turns into weeds. You got to tend to the mind. You got to cut out the weeds. You got to cultivate it all. Yeah, you got to clean it out. You got to you got to cultivate yeah. the soil yeah. in the mind, the thought process, yeah. the syntax, the wording, the structures, all of that, and just paying attention to it and, and ask yourself, what kind of experiences am I having? Because they're your creation. The mind is is the. This is one thing we share here at, at with our discussion group. I don't know if you've heard us say it before or not, mm. because. People will say they will come to a, a Masonic lodge. Let's bring it. Let's, let's apply this to Freemasonry. People will come to lodge and they'll hear this age-old slogan: "We take good men and make them better." Right? And then you go to the lodge and then you you ask them, "Well, how are you going to make me better?" That's that's a fair, valid, and very direct question. And so, the that lodge most of the times will say, "Well, you know, once you become a member." You're going to learn all these great things, and then we're going to um, raise a bunch of money for these kids, and we're going to you know, uh, write a check, and you're going to be a part of that, and that's going to make you a better man. And so people are like, well, I still don't understand how that's going to make me mm-hmm. a better man. Mm-hmm. But if we apply what you just said about cultivating your thoughts and your mind, the only thing we can really do is help you to improve the quality of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because that begins to prune all these bad negative thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, erroneous ways of thinking, uh, strengthening your critical thinking skills, beginning to uh, um, understand and acknowledge that you, where you're going wrong, right? And now you're given a tool to continuously cultivate these good thoughts. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge, oh, I'm getting a bad thought. I'm engaging in self-sabotaging mm-hmm. activities and mm-hmm. bring me back down because there's something I'm, I'm afraid of. Yeah. So I often tell them, this is, this is how we're going to make you a better man. We're going to help you improve the quality of your thoughts because from there it's going to help you increase the quality of your words, mm-hmm. which will lead to the quality of your actions. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Go in a circle. Cycle, yeah, yeah. I just cycle yeah. it over yeah. and over and over again. And it's um, it's a very interesting thing, too, because I discovered also doing the work that I do that a lot of people, unfortunately, are addicted to the fear and the adrenaline, adrenaline junkies you hear all the time, mm-hmm. uh, to the stress. Mm-hmm. And it, it does give you a sense of like, whoa, this is intense. And they become very addicted to the bad news, the bad things. I mean, look at, you know, look at the, the, the news on TV. If it didn't sell they wouldn't be putting it, you know, it sells negativity out there. And uh, so unfortunately, a lot of people are still very invested into that way of living. But I do see a change happening, too, because more and more people are getting tired of it, too. Mm-hmm. They're like, OK, I'm done with that. That's old now. I'm like losing my taste for whether if it's the drugs, the medication, the drama, all of it. And even alcohol, you know, uh, so. More and more people are, okay, how do I enhance the quality of my life? And then those people are the ones who are, probably would benefit for something like this, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a, doing a little method or going to masonry or uh, yeah. studying whatever it is to optimize your, 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 your quality of experience of life, right? And it takes work because it's not going to fall into, this, into your lap from the heaven. No, you, you got to take action. <laughs> you you got to take action. Yeah, yeah, you got to take action and you have to uh, uh, repeat the process over and over and refine it, refine it, refine it until... It's just a second yeah, nature. Yeah, and I have to say something here too because uh, you know we also need to know how to develop a mind 
a clear, sharp mind because if I was to fill you with all the information of the world or give you that, that, that choice to give you all the information of the world or have a clear and sharp mind, which one would you choose? Well, a clear and sharp mind. Right. Why? Because I'm going to be able to make better choices and, right. and get to where I need to get faster. I, all, right. all the, all the uh, information of the world is going to probably clog me down. Yes. Clog me up. A clear, sharp mind. We yeah. know that that's the way the mind works best. And only then can you use any knowledge or information correctly. Otherwise, you'll be confused with too much information, too. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? And so there's a really cool uh, guy by the name of Musashi Miyamoto, the uh, samurai. You heard of him, the Book of Five Rings. Yeah. And known as the greatest samurai of all time. And he said towards basically the end that, accordingly, you will make emptiness the way and see the way as emptiness. That's pointing to the clear and sharp mind that I'm talking about. And if you can develop your ability to, to, especially for men, I'm not saying necessarily for women, because women need more emotional uh, ability to express themselves. They, it's a different element for women. Um, but men definitely need an ability to create a, a clearer and sharper mind, which gives them a stronger physical uh, presence and mental emotional clarity. And uh, yeah, it's... It's no, it's of no wonder why right now also where uh, Dr. Al Sears out in uh, Florida, he I follow his newsletters and stuff like that. And he was he said that right now over about eighty or ninety percent of his patients right now are producing way more estrogen in their bloodstream right now than a normal healthy woman. That's pointing to mental and physical physical disorders. So. And, yeah, which what you're talking about, a, a clearing the mind and and uh, you know the five, mm-hmm. the, the book of five rings, mm-hmm. it brings to clarity that th- this understanding has been known for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's not something new, right? But we get away from it, and in Freemasonry, I can tell you that uh, during our installation ceremony, which you know most of the times is open to the public. Uh, when it comes to an officer and, you know, he's going to get his apron and he's going to get his jewel and it has an emblem. One of them is a Tyler. He's the very first one. And the Tyler, he has a, a sword and is representing the, the wavy sword, the fiery sword that was at the, at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, pr- mm. protecting the book of the tree of knowledge and the tree of wisdom, I think. Mm. The tree of life. The tree of life. Thank you. The yes. tree of life. So... Uh, just like it was guarding the, the, the tree of wisdom and the tree of life or the tree of knowledge, the uh, Tyler is given a charge to put a guard over a watch, a guard over our thoughts, a watch over our lips mm-hmm. and to not allow these negative what we're talking about mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. This is what I've been trying to point out to a lot of my brothers and stuff like dude, a lot of this is already in there. You know, it's embedded, it's caked into our ritual, what we do, what we say. It's just that we don't pay attention to it the way mm-hmm. we should mm-hmm. to optimize. Mm-hmm. It's basically telling them this, this is how you optimize mm-hmm. your, how do you say? Your human operating your, system. Your, your human, op- your human operating, operating system. system. Yeah. And there it is. It's telling you right then and there. It might not say it as in detail as what you're right, saying, but right. it, 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 this one is even more 
like shorter. It says uh, uh, we should ever we should be ever watchful and guarded in our thoughts, words, and actions, particularly before you know enemies of, of masonry, mm -hmm. ever bearing the the and remembers those truly Masonic virtues, silence and circumspection. Right, we're mm -hmm. silence. Mm -hmm. How do you get to the deepest cores of yourself? Mm -hmm. Silence mm -hmm. through doing stuff, through beginning to take action, to so or inaction, meditation. It, when well, when you're going <laughs> it right, there's a debate when you're going mm -hmm. through when you go into deep med meditation mm -hmm. that you're activating parts of your of your mind. You're going, you're 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 going, you're, you're going there, right? This is how these uh, yogis begin to. You you know it's funny uh, because it's uh, in my experience, it's not like you're going somewhere. You're there, but all the issues, the mental incorrectness, emotional incorrectness or disorders, they start to rise up. That's when people flinch. <laughs> so being able to be there as the burning light of life in presence and then endure it to burn these issues up, you gain little by little. And then there are formal uh, techniques or tactics you can go about it that's why I use the deep process because the deep process also use something called that I called a tactical empathy because I we through that tactical empathy I'm able to we can discuss and discover what are the emotions that are destructing or dis disrupting the quality of your life and then through that we find the the beliefs and the art the 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 spells <laughs> per se because um, they, once you get rid of those spells, the emotional or the beliefs, the, the emotional charged uh, elements of your ability to sense these things as an experience in life, they disappear. Whether if it's something that depresses you or, or an anxiety. And I, I've so far, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. I have 100% um, uh, success rate. <laughs> I still yet to mess up. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it if it mm -hmm. does happen. But but the only reason why it's so far so short proof too is because I tell people I don't hold your hand during this. I work with you, but you gotta do the work and if you work, it works. If you don't work, then how's it gonna work? You've, yeah. You yeah. gotta take action. You gotta take action. Yeah. But you gotta do the right things. Yeah. The right action so that the right things can happen. If you're putting all your hard work into it, this and that, but you're not getting the results, well it's because you're not doing the right things. <laughs> Well, you're failing, and you got to see where you're failing and do it again. Do yeah, it again. yeah. Do and then you again. also got to pay yeah. attention to what works because a lot of people can get stuck from learning from failures more than their successes, and then they will, they'll inadvertently or unknowingly start to uh, repeat the same mistakes, right. trying to learn from them. That's good, but you also got to learn what also, okay, let's focus on what actually works. And then it's not something that you'll know in intellectually. It's something that you'll know experientially how because the results will speak for themselves. And then through that you'll use everything as as a process to doing better and better. Yeah. What was uh, what was the example? The classic classic example that we mm -hmm. always hear. Thomas Edison failed mm -hmm. ten thousand times before he finally created the light bulb. Mm -hmm. Failed, failed, mm -hmm. failed, failed. Kept mm -hmm. going, kept going, yeah. kept going. Yeah. And figure so it out, it out, and then it uh, yeah you yeah. and so he lost the fear of failure obviously. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean it's meaningless. Yeah. Now. I'm just doing what I need to do in order to get to yeah. how to how this is gonna work. You realize yeah. that failure does not mean what you thought it meant. Yeah. And you know what? And I get it too because you know it can be painful. But pain 
I know something that made a huge difference in my life is that pain is not a good, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because when you feel pain, especially as a man, of course, a woman too, and then even as children, but it enhances every experience of pain enhances your intelligence on a physical, mental, emotional, even spiritual level. And, and, and there's no way around it. So if you can see pain not necessarily as a bad thing, it can become destructive, of course, you know, on, on one extreme. But if you can be cognizant, conscious of, of applying the necessary discomfort that you need, you can play with it, then it'll help to optimize your intelligence, to see things clearly, to be able to recognize when you're doing things right. Because if not, then you'll pay attention to either the things that are not working or or pretend like I should know. You, what you're reminding me is uh, what every athlete goes through. You know, how, how does an athlete become world-class? Through pain mm-hmm. and failure. I'm doing it, yeah. Y- y- there is no other way. Yeah. Uh, uh, an athlete is going to fail. An yeah. athlete is going to have pain, either yeah. uh, emotional pain because it didn't go the way he wanted yeah. or a physical ailment, you know, yeah. pain. Yeah. He has to come back from it. Yeah. He has to fight whatever he's fighting. Yes. And so you're, you're reminding me uh, of, for me as a, as a ex-athlete, past athlete, Yeah. this is how we learned Yeah. to yeah. get to those levels. And yeah. we have to learn how to optimize our, uh, our emotions mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do in order to now become a starter on the team or, you know, uh, Take uh, take the field with the starters, mm-hmm. uh, contribute to the team, and things like that. There there is no other way that athlete the athlete is going to get better unless he has failed and there has been pain and he feels it. Yeah, he has to. There's no other way. There is no other way. I, and I'll give you another example. Like let's say like um, one of the biggest fears in 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 our Western culture is um, uh, public speaking. No. Oh. All right. I have a process in which uh, usually it takes me about a week, five days where I can dissolve the, the fear of public speaking. <laughs> and I can literally do this. And I use, you know, what I mentioned, the disempowering elimination process using the tactical empathy. And, uh, and uh, you'd be amazed. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel anything because I even, when I get on stage or I'm about to, I'm, I feel energy, but I feel excitement. I don't feel anxiety. It's energy. And I'm like, whoa, and I'm, my body's trembling, but I'm ready to go. Yeah. And it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not a thought process it's like, oh, what if I fuck up? None of those things matter. And yeah. actually, I embrace the discomfort of it, and in, in a not not in a sadistic way, but in a more joyful, uh, even gr- with a sense of gratitude that I'm about to do something that I don't know what's going to happen. I may fail, but it's not a big deal because I get to play, I get to do something, and wow. Yeah, it's the same thing w- w- with an <laughs> athlete. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I felt that many times when when we go and play other better teams, right? And, and you're nervous. Yeah. When, when it's your at time at bat, you're nervous. But you know what it means now. Your your senses are heightened. Yeah. You're focusing that energy. Yeah. You're and and I could strike out. I could pop up. I can ground out. I can get a base hit. I can get hit by the pitch. All oh, these things. Okay. But that's part of the game. Of, of the game. Playing, and, yeah. and that's the but risk. If, but if yeah. you're if you've been preparing for the game through practice, the coaches on you, the other guys are are practicing, and everybody knows their roles, then. That just comes along with yeah. With that, that shows your competence, yeah. and most people have like a big thing where oh we we should be cooperative we you know no no competition. Competition is not is not good in in real life. It's good for sports and playing games and and, and challenging each other. But 
but you can only competition is only good when you're working or playing with those who are competent. If they're not, then you're an, then you're kind of are being a bit of a bully. And you're you're just taking advantage of the situation, and that's not going to lead to good results. Well, I I disagree mm. the, because competition could be applied anywhere. It's just that what people fail to do is apply the rules to it. Like, okay, uh, you have you you're at work and you need someone to begin to be trained to take your job, mm. and you're gonna have five of them. A hey, five of you. It's a competition. The best man is gonna get. The, the the more than likely is going to get the position. Mm. These are the rules. Da, 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 right. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so now the competition is there. And it, what is it to get the best guy? Right. I see what you're saying. Uh, and and, so, and it's not necessarily a competition. Where we're looking at is competence. So who can do the job better? Well, they don't need to necessarily compete with each other. They, they're mainly, if anything, they might be competing with themselves, but it's not even that because what they're doing is proving that their ability, that they can actually do something to uh, a, a higher, excellent way. But there's no competition in that. Competition can add pressure, and it may sabotage the individual's intelligence in the process. Yeah, it, because, yeah, it may. You know, it may, and that's not really going to help out, especially if it's a business or say, now if it's in sports or something like that, or where, then yeah, definitely competition is good, but only if you're dealing, like let's say you put Mike Tyson with a, with a, with, with a, uh, I don't know, <laughs> a lightweight from a kid, you know, yeah. kid. That's, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing there. But there's no competition. There's no competition there. Right. But if you put somebody who is competent enough to go face to face with Mike Tyson, now you have a show. Now you have some now you have honor. Now you have something really that people mm-hmm. want to see. So it's it's more of a, a, an aspect of uh showing your competence and in whatever field, you know. But it's uh competition is uh not necessarily again a bad thing, but it it is bad when it comes to life. To the to to helping people to uh, cooperatively uh, uh, bring out the best in one another, mm. you know, in a society or in a family, and isn't that? Um, but to develop ourselves, you know, or, or or show how well we are in, particularly in sports, mainly, yeah, that's good, you know, if you're willing to do that and and, and show your, your 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 skills and your capability, and and overall, I mean, in the end, it's just a show when it comes to sports, you know, it's not really necessarily you know, going to make a huge difference in people's lives. Ultimately, it's not going to transform their lives. It may inspire people, but it's not going to enhance their quality of life overall. No, not not for the spectators, for the for the individual um, people. People involved. Involved, yeah, right. yeah because. Yeah, that's different, it, for sure. So it's going to change their lives. Yeah. Uh, and it may yeah. even destroy their lives, too, because well, competition when you're, is, yeah. when, it's kind of like that warrior code, like, Death is his own reward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the competition. I mean, you have mm-hmm. you have examples of people that that mm-hmm. and coaches that knew how to engage their their athletes in a competition to create a championship environment. Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, uh, Bob Knight, you, uh, Phil Jackson, Red Arbach. You have over and over and over again. They knew how to push people's buttons to get the best out of them mm-hmm. in order to optimize that unit mm-hmm. to perform in that unit of you that know level. as a team yeah. Yeah. to to get to the championship level yeah. now if they got hurt you know along the way and that's going to impede mm-hmm. that that unit's you know prob- probabilities of winning a championship right. because someone one of them is physically hurt right but but the competition they knew and what happens they end up writing a book 
and telling you their secrets and who who's the one who reads them ceos right, managers right why because we understand competition is good but th there's a drop off somewhere yeah. where it, they it, don't know how to harness what the real lesson is right and we we're we're that i noticed something kind of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic there's it uh, things have changed the rules have changed. A lot of those old rules of doing things like in the form of a uh, competition, they right now more and more they're proving to be more and more dysfunctional. Um, they're not, they're not leading to the integrity and the and the and the intelligence of humanity now that is becoming more aware of it as, as an interconnected uh, species of of being able to communicate and bring out the best in all of us as as a, as a species in a in a planet. Pre-pandemic, we were still kind of like in a, in a survival mode. We were still living under the rules of like, if you don't do, you die kind of deal. And of course, you know, I'll take yours if you're not going to take it, mm. you know. Yeah, that was rules and then they, and they applied then. But now they're showing that that's no longer the case. And for us to move forward, we're going to have to start to do the right things. And competition is definitely, there's no, I don't, I don't see any space for that at all for us to, evolve especially now with the tech magic and technology that every human being now has in their hands the, the only thing i can add to that is that the competition is on to find the solution so competition will be involved no matter how you look at it and right now people are competing to find the, the good solution the, the the solution that you're talking about yeah. they yeah. are competing but they're not i'm not talking about they know about each other and they're they're clashing head and competing no it's a competition to to find the solution so that humanity can get back on its feet, mm -hmm. and and you're you're saying do the right thing, right? And, right, and because competition uh, implies you have an uh, an opponent. You have the opponent is apathy. Right. Yeah, the opponent the, the, is fear. The opponent is fear, <laughs> but it's you. It's yeah. not outside of you. Once you get rid, once you. Don't are no longer your own enemy. If the there's an old saying uh, uh, that goes, if there's no enemy within, the enemy outside doesn't exist. Right. And you get, there's no competition. Then you will only focus on what what works, and what will help you develop the best version of yourself, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and optimize it. Because anything less than that will sabotage that. Did you have another uh, bullet point that you wanted to share with us? Um, in res uh, so there's, uh, you know, actually the Musashi Miyamoto was actually one that I felt like uh, when we talked about, you know, he said, accordingly, you will make emptiness the way and see the way as emptiness, you know, and when there's emptiness, it's clarity, a clear, sharp mind. And when you see things clearly and sharply, there's no fear. All there is is just joy and gratitude. And and with that, you know, when you do that, your energies rise up, which kind of elaborates on the 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 the, the definition of enlightenment. Because enlightenment literally means that your energies are so vibrant that you can clearly see reality simply as the way it is. And on all dimensions. You know, some people can see more than others, but when you can see reality just simply as the way it is, um, you're going to discover there's more, always. There's always more. Yeah. Uh, and even if you're uh, incredibly efficient at what you do, yeah. And you uh, tackle one problem after another, 
as soon as you tackle that problem, if you're not being successful, uh, I, I mean, if, if you just finish tackling a problem and if a bigger and better one didn't crop up, you're not doing something right because life is going to spit out another be- oh. bigger and better problem so that you can c- continue Hell yeah. to grow. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they're, know. yeah, without any challenges, no, you know, I have another thing that I tell people too, that when it comes to life, if nobody ever becomes happier, or healthier, or stronger by being comfortable. In fact, yeah, comfort yeah. creates sadness, it's weakness, you. Your and comfort sickness. is killing you. Yeah. yeah. And look yeah. at what's happening with the world, with, with our technologies. It has made us super comfortable. Our life and death is mostly insured now, you know, assured. You know, we're living extraordinary, extraordinarily long lives, but the quality of our lives is depreciating mm-hmm. because of it. It's, we're not we're not happy so it's now i feel more and more that it's about quality of life because it doesn't matter if you live 10 years or 100 years or whatever it, it's if you live a really good quality of life <laughs> it doesn't matter you're just enjoying the hell out of it so you just reminded me of something as you're speaking mm-hmm. and free it's, it connects to what a couple of previous points right now that we just made and that is here we say Freemasonry is work. And obviously, you know, we get, we're giving the, these uh, tools, the, the, the square, you know, the common gavel somewhere right here, mm-hmm. uh, a plumb line, and that's to build and that's work. That implies work, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the gavel, especially the gavel to chisel away at, at uh, the bad parts of us, mm-hmm. that, which implies discipline. You need discipline to do that mm-hmm. and consistent work and too many too many of us for the longest time did, didn't think that way and now with uh the reality hitting us in the face with everything that's gone on everyone's beginning to reevaluate what their belief system is what uh, whether you're a spiritual person you know or a, or an atheist even atheists are being challenged to mm-hmm. rethink what they thought Mm-hmm. was real what they thought was right and wrong because of the way people are acting and freemasonry is no different we're we're going through a similar process even though it seems that we have things established mm-hmm. we're being forced to go back and say wait a minute we have these tools we have these lessons and what the hell so freemasonry is work yeah when you when you apply the work uh you stop being complacent mm-hmm. and you're now actively applying the lessons of practice uh you're you're actively engaging people other masons you know other people with with life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. see and i get it too because um i i noticed this in martial arts and other things i was studying that after a while you learn certain techniques certain moves and you get really good at it and after a while you're like, is there more you get so good at it that um you're like okay, you get kind of get bored of it and you can only learn so much from techniques. You can only learn so much from books. You need to have a living presence of an individual who can actually transmit the information on all levels, the human operating system, in a way that it's what I call an IHOS, because the HOS is human operating system, but it's not necessarily an intelligent human operating system. So you need to update the system to be an actual intelligent human operating system, a cognizant one. Then through that, you will be able to transmit that to whoever you're who's learning from you and then you need to also be learning from somebody else and there's always somebody to learn from 
and that transmission becomes experiential, and then the results speak for themselves. And again, experiential, uh, all that is implying is action. You got to yes. continue to Absolutely. take Absolutely. action. You cannot. You cannot be theoretical yeah. about it. No, no. Uh, there comes a point where we even even the operative Mason back you know five hundred years ago, he learned under the the master Mason. He was an apprentice for seven years. Uh, the first two or three years were a lot of theory mm-hmm. of the craft, mm-hmm. but he was applying some of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the technique. But w- when his seven years were up, he had to apply. There's no more theory. Right. He's got to apply and show his work. Walk the walk. And then the master mason would sign off on him saying, yes, this guy has got it. Mm-hmm. And now he can go and travel and work with the uh, stonemasons guild and earn, earn mm-hmm. wages. Uh, but but they did a, a really good combination of theory and application mm. where finally it stops being theory. Mm. And now you're just applying your tools and your experience and you're going to li- make a living off of what you know. I'm going to build this pillar. I'm going to the stairway, this castle. This yeah, yeah, yeah. They can do it. They can it's do really it. interesting because in Sistema, uh, the Russian martial art I told you about, <laughs> the instructors, the main instructor or instructor or whoever's teaching, uh, they dress up in like regular t-shirts and yeah. pants and sandals or whatever. Right, right. And they literally do it that way because they don't want anything formal because um, <laughs> the, what, what, what will become apparent is the one who has the skill to perform. And they'll usually look so normal that you will not see them. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what the hell? And uh, all shapes and sizes. And that's something I noticed that, you know, once something becomes too formalized, you kind of lose, you almost focus more on the symbol than the actual uh person who has the mastery well, to learn from well, bruce lee that's what he said yeah ex- exactly and uh and what i when i noticed that i was like oh okay so i should be paying more attention to my operating system in a way how i'm perceiving him how i feel how is it aligned with what i'm doing with what i want because you can learn a lot of bad shit from people mm-hmm. and to undo that, that takes a whole lot of work too. <laughs> to unlearn a lot of the bullshit, so you have to be, you have to take responsibility for yourself too, and for your life. Because if you don't, if you only take, let's say, fifty percent responsibility for your life, that means that the other fifty, fifty percent of your life is going to be enslaved or at the mercy of somebody else, and that is not the source of our power. There is no true freedom or or, or power without responsibility, and it's something that we should enjoy and embrace as our. Uh, as the fundamental aspect of our capability to to do and and create the things that we want in life, our relationships are one hundred percent ours. Our 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 children, the way our business. I mean, hell, I have faults all over the place, and I have a tough time digesting a lot of things that I do and that I fuck up. But I have to say, this is me. This is my doing. So I need to continue to work to make it happen. There, there's power in that. There's a lot of power in that, especially when you begin to own up to it, Absolutely. because. With responsibility comes accountability, you know, and, and yeah. with accountability, there comes responsibility. And so they're, they're, they're intertwined. Often we don't hear about them being intertwined, but they're, that's what you're saying. When, yeah. when you're, when you're taking responsibility and you're saying, yeah, no, that was me and I'm the one who effed up. What, what, what are you doing? Also, you're taking accountability for accountability. your effort. Yeah. And here's another interesting thing, which is a big slice of humble pie to take home. Uh, Taking responsibility doesn't necessarily also mean that it's your fault. It could be somebody else's doing. It could be a student or your child or whatever. Good leaders. You know what I mean? But you still take responsibility to say, you know what? I have the ability, responsibility. 
the ability to respond, respond consciously. Yeah. The opposite of that is reactive. You're just reacting to to people, then you're you're not really in your own power. You're you're reactive. You're at the mercy of somebody else. Anybody can be manipulated very easily. Whoever is reactive, but if you're responsible, you can work in a more conscientious way and and pay attention to the things that actually work, so that the right things can happen. And and it's very important that we don't confuse responsibility with meaning that's my fault or that's his fault. It's that you're willing to accept the ability to respond to whatever happens in a conscientious manner. Yeah, in a good leadership training, they, they teach you that. They, what they say is, if you're the leader, uh, uh, even a small group, mm-hmm. and something wrong happens, something ha- or something happens that wasn't supposed to happen, guess what? That's your fault. Don't, don't go blaming da-da-da. Why? Because you're teaching everybody now right. to take responsibility and accountability, and now you can go address it, and now, so the energy doesn't, begin to get you know stopped yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, i'll give you an example for instance let's say you tell me juan go fuck yourself and i'll be like i will all right and then i'll as a monkey the monkey brain on me it'll be like fuck me yeah you know what i'm gonna grab my shit throw it right back at you like a monkey fuck you yeah and then we can go back and forth like monkeys (laughs) but if i really want to be in my own power you tell me fuck you and i'll be like and I go into my prefrontal cortex and I pay attention to you consciously. You just be there. And I don't react to you. Well, that's, that's what Buddha said. And that, no, hold on. Yeah. There's, there's limitless power in that. And we all have it, every single one of us. And we can transform the world by doing this, just paying attention. Not, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a practice that we can become more responsive. And then what would be the best thing to respond? Well, I'm... I'm sorry that you feel that way. How come? How come you tell me to go fuck myself, a Caesar? And you'd be like, "Well, I don't like you." Uh, yeah, I mean, I I understand. I may have a hard time liking myself sometimes. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then you deal with it, but in a, in a more creative and powerful way. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not because yeah. I have trained in the you know in system and the martial arts and being able to get to that level where you, when somebody hits you, and then you can take and breathe through it and smile and don't respond back. That's powerful because then from there, whatever action you take will have more precision and power in response to somebody who wants to attack you or hurt you. Yeah, yeah there was a similar story of, of Buddha and some guy was just irate, you know, <coughs> and, and went to go see him and just began to just bombard him with, uh, you know, just uh, slurs and blah, 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 and just mm. on him. And, you know, Buddha just stayed there and everyone was wondering what the heck. So when that guy was done, the, the guy was wondering, okay, what is Buddha going to say? Yeah. And so... <laughs> no Buddha. I'm not sure if Buddha was meditating and had his eyes closed, but when the guy was done, Buddha looked at him and said, if you throw all kinds of negative stuff at me and da 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 and I don't accept it, then to who, sir, does it belong? And so the guy got quiet and he says, well, to me. That is correct, sir. So it's the same yeah. What you're talking about, you know, Yoda, you know, yes. taking the, you know, the, the, the force from the from the Sith and turning it back, you know, that's that's all you're doing. That's martial uh, uh, true martial uh, arts. Yeah, that, that's what you're doing. Yeah, you're, you're or someone attacks you and you and you use his own energy to make yeah. him walk past you, but you didn't hurt him, you know. Right. So it's the same concept. And you can do that also intellectually with your t- the a, way you you, you articulate yourself. The same yeah. thing. Uh, the same principle yeah. uh, emotionally. Especially like with your wife. Yeah. Never get in, in an argument with your wife. Let her express herself. 
let her feel safe in your presence that you're mentally, emotionally strong for her to express herself. That'll open her up and feel safe with you and then she'll love you for it. <laughs> yeah. Words of wisdom, right? Words of wisdom. Yeah. And and age old, but still <laughs> so fucking relevant. To especially if we treat each other as men in, in with that kind of honor and respect. Like, man, bring out the best in us. I'm gonna uh wrap this this part of the session up with uh you know, we talked about fear. We talked about death. We talked about what you do. We mm. talked about how you've, uh, you know, uh, help and want to continue to help people yes. deal with fear, deal with, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, and then can I also say that yes. if you, I have a book I wrote. It's being edited right now, and it's called The Death of Death. Uh, um, and you can only find it on my website, leomethod.com, but only you have to make a special request. And I will... Email it to you for free if you send me your information, if you want to read it. I'll, send, I'll, I'll email it to you for free, whoever wants it. Nice. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And, okay, so, again, the death of death. Uh, excellent, because that's what I'm... What does this have to do with Freemasonry? And then this is my five-minute plug-in, right? Or less. It's not going to take five minutes. <laughs> but a lot of people will, will wonder, well, because, because of what we talked about tonight... And because of what I mentioned earlier, there's there's Masons out there and on Masons beginning to feel this. Wait a minute, you know the skull and bones. Yeah, that 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 does resonate with what we're supposed to be doing in Freemasonry, and we should have it symbolized somewhere in the lodge or or you know. And well, well why you know why is this? Well, in Freemasonry, when the Constitutions of the Masons came out in 1730, written by uh, uh, Anderson, uh, he wrote. There is only two things that Masons are supposed to really do, according to those constitutions, right? He got all these old charges. He got all these, which were, which were for the Stonemasons Guild, the old charges were what you're supposed to be doing, how a Mason behaves, mm. how, what a Mason's supposed to do when he goes to the lodge, how he's supposed to treat another brother, you know, things like that. Right. And uh, they would get obligated. The, the theory is that they would get obligated on this charge, this piece of parchment that they had that that would be read to you if once you became a Mason. There was a little ceremony. There's still mystery behind what the ceremony was, but they're theorizing that at a certain point, because a lot of these stone Masons were meeting in monasteries, and the Cistercian monks or Benedictine monks were the only ones that can read and write. They were the ones who read it to you, but they were also Masons as well, these uh, monks, right? Mm. They, they became master Masons as well. Okay. So they would... They would obligate you on these charges. They would you would put your hand on these charges, and then you 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 swear to abide by these, and da da da. Right. Right. So when they got all these charges together in seventeen seventeen, and they began to read them and try to distill them, Anderson wrote the Book of Constitutions from that, and this is what I'm gathering, right? Mm. Bam. Mm -hmm. And he's and what he gathered was that there was only two reasons why Masons should get together. Number one is to uh, celebrate St. John the Baptist Day and St. John the Evangelist Day, which falls really close on the summer and winter solstices. Mm. I mean, <laughs> within days. Mm. The other one was to reactivate the quarterly feast, meaning we're going to dine together. We're going to break bread like we like mm. we recently did, mm. right? In October, right? And, and yeah, well, mm. it, back then it was the only time you can be uh, be made a Mason was October 8th. Mm. That was the day that the, the, the only... And, Two or three were made at a time or something like that. Right. So what does this have to do with death? 
and and Freemasonry, right? Oh yeah. I, so I, can I say something? On so that? yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what does it have to do with death? Uh, I think I, I. You can correct me on this, but death is only the opposite of birth. All there is is life. Yeah. All right. That is. So, let's see how right you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> So if if we were only supposed to celebrate two points of the year, mm-hmm. one of them being the winter solstice, that's mm. what the death of the sun mm. at that time of the year. Right. We're about to go into hibernation time, right? The winter, right? So it's celebrating the death, yeah, of something, yeah. Now whether the Masons actually knew that, whether they understood that, that's a topic. For a whole other Another, conversation, yeah. but yeah. but the correlations are uh, are uncanny, right? And but how does that happen? How how do these seasons ha- happen? The only way it's happening is that the Earth is going around the sun. Mm-hmm. The the Earth is spinning on its own axis, mm-hmm. right? Causing these seasons Season to happen, changes. and each season dies, mm-hmm. so another one can be born. <laughs> yes and thus life and thus life right yeah and and so when we feast i imagine that part of what we're supposed to be celebrating is exactly that yeah the birth that's simple the birth and, the and death. death on and on yeah in in uh, lodges we're supposed to have black and white checkered floors hmm. birth hmm. and death black and white yin and the yang positive negative Left, right, male, female, Shiva, on, Shakti. She, yeah, all, uh, because <laughs> all it, these, it's celebrated. All them, yeah, yeah it, it's recognized throughout. So yeah. that's that's our little tidbit of Freemasonry and how. Because mm. if if you're a listener, you're probably going to be wondering, well, how does this connect mm. to Freemasonry? There's my connection mm. right there, mm. and and hopefully, you know, I, I see you smiling and shaking, nodding your head, like, okay, yeah. It's right there, right? Yeah, it's right saw, there, right in front of us. I saw it when I see the uh, the skulls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, we have skulls, uh, <laughs> you know, at this at this lodge, and not yeah. just because we have skulls doesn't mean that all members are in agreement with it, right? Because right. we have some members that just don't, uh, not that they don't understand, but they don't agree with the, well, we should have these images hmm. here. But that's where Freemasonry is going. Freemasonry is beginning to open up. To the understanding and the idea that, you know, life and death, birth, rebirth, whatever it is you want to call it. There, there's a lot of The elements, reality of life. The reality of life. Yeah. There's a lot of elements of fear. Anything other than that, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Then, then, then why? Yeah. Then what's your purpose? Right? So that's, that's my little plug-in for yeah. Freemasonry and how, this, how it could be connected, right? Because yeah. I'm not an authority... Mm. Talking about Freemasonry, where they're calling me, and I'm having talks, and you know my <laughs> my papers are published, and all this. All I'm doing is is um, is delineating my observations, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing, what I'm not seeing, what I'm understanding, what I'm not understanding, and a lot of it has to do with the energy flow. A yeah. lot of it has to do with yeah. what we're experiencing. A lot of it has to do with our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our words, our actions, a lot of it. I mean, that's all we are. Yeah. Thoughts, words, and actions yeah. over and over. And in uh, a lodge, I believe that we are supposed to have a place to optimize 
the human operating system, system yeah, in a lodge, what, what you're saying, because yeah. a lot of what you talked about today, if I look through our ritual, whether it's the first, second, third degree, or the installation ceremony, mm. or even we're about to have our 75th anniversary, and we're going to have a rededication where the Grand Lodge is going to come down and reenact something for us. It's open for the public to see. Mm -hmm. That in itself will be like life, death, rebirth, mm -hmm. repeat, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it just reinforces that it's okay. Yeah. It's all right. We're here. Optimize it. Yes. Optimize the experience. Let's, let's live. Let's learn. Yes. Yes, because I, I always wake up with one thing every morning and I always kind of leave people thinking about this is when you wake up in, tomorrow morning, before you do anything, ask yourself, hey, if you're not going to enjoy your life today, then what are you going to do with it? You know, with that, let's close it up. I want to first... Uh I don't know if you want to close it with that. That's that's no, excellent. Please. I mean, that, but uh, any last words for the listeners? Any last words? You mentioned, you mentioned your book, mm -hmm. uh, the death of death. You can get it for free. Go online, leomethod.com, and, uh, and request it. And, request it, mm -hmm. and it'll be sent to you PDF form. Mm -hmm. uh, the Leo Method on on .com. Also, you can find them. And if you want to. Call them and get what a oh uh, some of the uh, other techniques yeah uh, yeah yeah life energy yeah. optimization they yeah, can please. talk to you whenever can, whenever just send me an email and all that and I'll get back to them as soon as possible as soon as possible okay yeah, and we can set it up because yeah. I know you're busy yeah I know I you got, got so other projects. projects yeah yeah <laughs> I know uh, you, I'm here you, to live this uh, life uh, all the way to the to, to, to the, the casket close <laughs> well then before we close then I, I want to yeah. do something that sometimes I, I forget to do and uh, I apologize for that if you guys are listening but. I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge the work that you've done. I want to acknowledge the, uh, you know, that you've gone through what you've gone through. It has gotten to you to this place where you are now. Yeah. And not only that, but we're here now talking about it. You're yeah. getting a chance to talk to me. Yeah. We're recording it so that other people can hear it and hear what, who you are, what you're about, some of your beliefs, some of where you're going, some of what, what you, you believe humanity should be versus what it is because i think we all have those thoughts right so mm -hmm. i want to acknowledge that man and thank you thank you for coming to our trivium discussion groups from time to time you know when you're not as busy as you are thank you for contributing whenever you do show up you know you always have something to contribute so thank you man no, and, thank and, you and, thank and, you for having me and uh Grateful. you know and that's that's what it that's what it's about if we don't acknowledge one another if we don't continue to push each other if we don't continue to uh um work and strive for something better then man you're not growing right <laughs> what are you doing yeah <laughs> what are you doing, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh brethren thank you for listening and with that we will close this up and we're looking forward to part two right i think so all right all right so let's let's close it <laughs> these strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry and everything else in life feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding effectively spreading the cement of light and wisdom.
hopefully getting you to go to the gym. Start eating some more greens. Go back and watch some old videos of Jack LaLanne doing some jumping jacks. You know that's why they call them jumping jacks, right? Because Jack LaLanne invented them. <laughs>